Our text this morning is the, uh, the, the second reading, the, uh, the epistle reading from Hebrews. Uh, I want to r- relate to you just a little bit longer than I usually do here. I'm going to start at verse 22. Uh, it says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I um, have uh, memories of my uh, um, cadet days when I was really I started the first day of my time at the Coast Guard Academy. I had never really stopped in, in the whole time I was in the military, uh, but it started there. Those were hard days. The reason that they were harder for me, I think, than some others is because I was always uh, somehow falling short of, on the rules. Um, my uniform was never quite good enough. Uh, you know, one of the things they complained about a lot is that I wasn't very adaptable. I don't know what that means, but watch it. <laughs> yeah, I have to be adaptable, right? I mean, it seems like I'm not that stubborn, but they all thought that I was a little stiff. So, uh, so I, my, my shoes weren't shiny enough. I got in trouble at least once a week for forgetting to put on my name tag. You know, it's just weird stuff like that. Uh, Honestly, it just wasn't in me to, to be what they wanted me to be. I've never been adaptable. You know, it's just one of those things. So uh, I was considered, what would you say, uh, a poor excuse for an officer trainee. But they never did get rid of me. And, uh, well, I mean, it took them 17 years. So I guess there's something positive about that. And I learned a bunch at the time, but it was difficult. Now, uh, here we have the Hebrew Christians. That's who this letter is written to by someone that we are unfamiliar with, or at least uh, someone that is unnamed writing this, this letter. Um, they're, they're getting beat up pretty bad in their lives, these folks that get this letter. And, and it's, uh, well, what, what was happening is, is uh, these are... Um, full of uh, uh, persecutions that were going on in Israel. So they they ran away. Uh, They left Israel, especially from Jerusalem, to a life without roots. And they were kind of all spread around all over the place. Uh, But see, now when that happens to you, you've got to deal with the fact that you don't have a job, you don't have a home, you don't have any friends, and anybody that actually knows you could be well uh, likely to be a detractor and a persecutor. That was their circumstances. So they were, maybe you can understand this, a little cranky. Right, so, uh, and they acted it out. So they, they weren't necessarily nice to their neighbors and they weren't very uh, uh, hospitable and, and they were difficult. So you know, part of the letter is to, to get them to deal with that. Uh, they also tried uh, to, to leave Christ, to try to stop being Christians because, well, uh, Jews were treated better uh, in those places where they ran off to. 
And they were afraid to be Christians because that was particularly uh, upsetting to the people they lived amongst. And so they, they rebelled against government because they were being persecuted to some extent. They rebelled against pagans. They rebelled against even the Jews that lived in the neighborhoods where they were uh, to the point of, I don't know what you would call it, a, a sinful sort of wrath. But they weren't yet martyred, this guy says. You haven't come to the place where you've begun to shed blood. So, it, I mean, it could be much worse. Some people were suffering that. Uh, and, and uh, well, he kind of makes them look at how they were making Christians look bad, making God himself look bad uh, among people, and there were consequences for that. And he was trying to point that out. When, when things are difficult, uh, that doesn't mean you should become difficult. So you no doubt have remembered the days of parental discipline, because this is another thing that is discussed here, is that those hard days are God's discipline for his children. So I imagine, you know, if you've had children of your own or if you've had uh, other people's children in your care, uh, and, and maybe uh, you can remember to some extent um, being parents uh, as well as being children with parents. Uh, all of those things are relevant here. Uh, the, the discipline is difficult. So as children, or for many uh, being adults, as disciplinarians, uh, the whole idea rare, rarely brings pleasure for any of us. Um, even for adults, if you happen to be the ones that are uh, find it necessary to discipline someone, uh, it's it's not a happy thing. It's upsetting. And and um, well, the the thing is though, a discipline. The way we usually think of it seems so totally devoid of peace and grace, although this particular letter says that that's where it goes, doesn't look like that when it's going on. Uh, it only seems to bring discomfort for the people that are under discipline or for the people that are forced to uh, enforce discipline, and, and, it's, and it's hard for all of us. Um, thinking of it as children, or even as parents, there is this fear of failure. Uh, uh, children don't like to be disciplined because uh, you know they disappoint their parents, they're afraid of the pain, uh, and uh, they are afraid of messing it up again sometimes if it's one of their particular problems. And, and so also is true for parents because um, and anybody that has been a parent, um, uh, if I could just see a show of hands, who thought that you were competent? So the only liar in the entire room was Rita. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> uh, they make, children make you feel stupid. Uh, Amanda was commenting on that. She just started a new kindergarten class. Uh, and, and I understand how that goes. There's an expectation of weakness, whether you're the child or, or the adult in the, in the mix. Uh, there's an unpleasant sort of suffering. It, it seems so much worse to think of God doing that himself. 
That, you know, we understand that he would be perfect about that like he is with anything, but doing anything in the way of discipline, you know, thinking about God, uh, even uh, if you just go look at some of the things that he did that were so horrible in the Old Testament, Jeremiah calls him not once but twice a terror. Uh, and, and, uh, and, of course, some of you have just come through the, the, the book of Revelation and you know, thinking about that, is, uh, the, the discipline that's involved in that mess is pretty scary because it's in God's hands and, you know, he's a God of justice and order. Any notion of being in the disciplining hands of a perfect God is almost the worst possible circumstance. And that's because we deserve it. <laughs> See, that's one of our biggest problems is we know uh, as we sit here, uh, as we live, as we walk, and, and in the weakness and the potential failure and all of that stuff, we are sinners and we know we deserve the discipline of God. But things are different here if you heard what uh, this writer says about discipline. By faith, you have yourselves, you know, by the faith that's been instilled by God himself, you have undertaken to follow Jesus. Now, and you know that there is difficulty involved in that because he never really asks you to do anything easy. Um, but because trusting God, it seems good, really good to, to do that, to follow Jesus. And even though it looks difficult, by faith, you try. And if you're following Jesus, it's like following anyone. If you're, uh, you know, remember your school days. If you're in a classroom with the teacher, you follow the discipline of the teacher. Not just, you know, the, the various ways that I remember getting into trouble. But it, uh, it, it, there is a discipline about existing under someone's care. Uh, they need you to be a certain way. And you try to be that if you're paying attention. Uh, and uh, that's hard. It means accepting the discipline of following whoever you're following. Uh, in, in the case of, uh, uh, generally speaking, there is learning and there's receiving the benefits of whatever is happening with following. So you do, and you do that on purpose because you want those things. In this particular case, with Jesus, you follow Jesus because there's truth there and there is freedom there from condemnation because, uh, as we said, you deserve it. But uh, in Jesus, following Jesus, you have a promise of release from that, from freedom from that, and, and no need for fear anymore of that. But God kind of takes your word for it. And, you know, uh, having the Holy Spirit, having faith, you want to follow Jesus, and God says, okay, you're, you're in. You're in the discipline of following Jesus, and that's the way you exist now. He, he, he grants you faith so that you can do that or try to do that. He grants his spirit so you're encouraged in it uh, and uh, counseled in how to go about it. His, his grace uh, is there also before you could ever even conceive to follow him in the first place. And, and as you follow that discipline, you may notice that, uh, how hard it is. Uh, following Jesus is not the easiest thing. It's, it's quite difficult, and, and it's especially when there are consequences for stepping out of that discipline, which we are all quite aware of. More consequences on top of that. If you listen to this letter, you see that uh, God allows 
things to happen that are hardship, that are suffering. And it's supposed to be in your life to teach you empathy, compassion, uh, endurance, forgiveness, making good choices. Those things are all a part of why any father disciplines any child. And so he does it better than the rest, but it's painful to suffer. It's, it's painful to watch other people suffer, even if you understand that that is just the discipline that comes from the love of God. That's, that's God teaching you discipline, even that. And so to, he says, knowing your heavenly father acts in love for you, uh, knowing that that's true, he, uh, th th this writer says, be strong. Uh, be strong in that notion that, that he's doing this for your good. So he's, so God, he strengthens you by faith. The spirit boots you up that way. Uh, you, you get encouragement from this table here where the body and blood of Christ uh, is here for you, uh, you by the fellowship of the people that are in this place with you because we help each other to uh, hold uh, to, to good things in Christ and also to be lifted up when we fall and by the grace and peace that we have by the promise of God's love for you. He says, strive for peace, strive for holiness. Knowing full well that you're going to fall short sometimes, he also tells you how he has loved you in Christ so that you know peace with him in holiness in Christ, even when it doesn't seem like there is any. When discipline, when hardship, when suffering, surrounds you and the people that you care about. His ultimate word of encouragement here is where he has brought you. It's, it's really quite striking. Uh, the Exodus brought Old Testament people to Sinai. And there is a picture of Sinai here uh, talking about the noise and the, and the, the, no one's allowed to touch this place. It, it, it's not a place that you can touch that God is bringing you. You can't touch it right now. It's it's spiritual thing. But uh, there on the mountain that they came to, there was trumpets and uh, storm and gloom and darkness and fire and smoke and scary stuff. And then God speaks and scares them all utterly to pieces so they don't even want to hear it anymore. You're not coming there. He's bringing you not to Sinai, but to Zion, where Jerusalem is. Except, uh, listen to the words again. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's your peers. Uh, that believe same as you that are there and wait for you, the great cloud of witnesses that this letter also speaks to, and, uh, and to God and the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's where he's taking you. It's not a place where you can touch and be afraid. It's a place where there is only love and perfection and the promise of eternity from your heavenly father. Uh, I know that you're well aware that there are no perfect fathers. Um, there are some good ones, 
Some of you are probably uh, uh, familiar with that, you, you, but you know there are no perfect fathers. But see, at the same time, even earthly fathers, if they're trying to do what they're supposed to do, they love you. They do anything for your good, including discipline and sustenance and making you go to school so you can learn something, to, to respect other people so you can live in the world uh, in, in relative peace. God does the same thing, uh, except he is perfect. And on top of his uh, discipline, his sustenance, and, and the things that he teaches you otherwise, as good Christians ought to be, uh, out of his own loving acts, he also sends his son. And so we, we see him, and we know him by faith, and we know that he came to take away the consequences of our imperfections, or at least in eternity, this is so. And so as you stand before God, you will know by the promise that he's made to you that you will be seen as perfect, as holy, as without blemish, as ready to be in heaven, these are gifts to you from your love in Christ. These are the things that he has entrusted to you, even his discipline, so that you may have full joy in him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.